0: Here we go. You are listening to Rumination Thursday Law and Gospel. I'm Pastor Tom Baker and with me is Pastor Wes Reimnitz. Good morning, Pastor Reimnitz.
1: Good morning, Pastor Baker. How are you? I'm doing
0: pretty good. Getting ready for some trips to four congregations and preaching, but you sent me for today, Monday, Thursday, the readings from the Bible on Monday, Thursday. And there's no way that within a half hour, in fact, there's no way within two hours we could go through all of them.
1: <laughs> I thought you'd enjoy seven pages of scriptures from, from the four Gospels.
0: Yes. And they're all talking about the Lord's Supper. Uh, why do we call it Monday Thursday?
1: Well, Monday is a Latin term for uh, command.
0: Yes. In other and words, on that day Jesus gave a new commandment, and that yes. commandment was to love one another as I have loved you. I know when I was growing up, I thought the people didn't know whether it was on Monday or Thursday, because Monday is spelled M-A-U-N-D-Y, but it's from the mandatum, the the word for commandment.
1: Commandment, yeah. Uh, in the development of the church year, the earliest uh, Christians celebrated was the Easter, Passover, and from Easter, they backed it up towards Good Friday, Monday, Thursday, Palm Sunday, and then the rest of the church here.
0: Yes, having the Lord's Supper was really important in those days. where There weren't too many services where they did not have the Lord's Supper.
1: Right. Yeah. Yeah. In terms of uh, early Christian church, every time they, they came together, they they celebrated. And that, that we read in, in Acts, where they celebrated the breaking of bread as they gathered together.
0: Yes. Now, unfortunately, among Christian denominations, not even non-Christians, there are still quite a few differences. You've got some who believe that there is no bread and wine anymore once there's a consecration, and there are others who believe there's no body and blood, it's only bread and wine. Can you uh, explain either one?
1: <laughs> I don't know if you can explain what's going through their heads as they do that. I'm saying that tongue in cheek, but uh, in the one, the body, you know, and blood of Jesus, the bread and wine are ch- changed into, they call it transubstantiation. Yes. It's changed into the body, it's changed into the blood. You may see bread and you may see wine, but uh, your eyes deceive you. And that on the other term,
0: hand... Tr- well, let's stay with that for a bit. Yeah. The term transubstantiation from substance is if um, the example given is, let's say you have a fox, and he loses his tail. Is he still a fox? Yeah. Yes, these are called accidents. The parts of Mm -hmm. the fox are accident. The substance of the fox is what makes him a fox. And what they believe in the Roman Catholic Church with transubstantiation is that the substance of the bread and wine is gone, and you instead have only the body and blood. So there's a change in the substance, but the accidents remain the same. It looks like bread mm. and wine, it tastes like bread and wine, but it is no longer that. And how do you explain the other item about well, the, that it's not the, bread?
1: The other is is a reformed view, view that there is no body, there is no blood, it's just a representation. Uh, and that goes back to the days of Swingley and Luther, where Swingley was calling for a representation of the of the body and blood of Christ in the bread and wine, and Luther said, no, this is the body, this is the blood.
0: Yes, hoc s corpus meum. He uh, actually wrote in Latin on a dusty table in front of Zwingli, to show him, no, this says, this is my body. This is my blood. In other words, these people can't imagine how the true body and blood of Christ is there. So, they believe there's still communion going on, but only on a heavenly realm that our faith receives the heavenly body and blood of Jesus Christ to some degree. And that's with the Baptist church, it's with the uh, Pentecostal for sure, but Presbyterians and others. And that's what's so sad with the Evangelical Lutheran Church of America that they now commune with these people. And we often would say that to get into communion fellowship, you had to have an agreement on the Lord's Supper and these congregations do not agree on the Lord's Supper. And what happens well, in I, first Corinthians eleven when people mm, don't agree
1: yeah they they can take it unworthily and get sick and even even die from it from not partaking of the Lord's Supper correctly
0: That's why we practice closer close communion, and what does that mean
1: well close is, is Uh, A body of believers together And that's something that the early church even recognized With their house churches Uh, What you believe, teach, and confess Is what you you confess at the altar You know, if you come to somebody's altar and say This is the body, this is the blood Regardless of what you're you're saying That's what you believe And if you belong to a church that says, this isn't the body, this isn't the blood, that's your confession.
0: Yes. Now we've been making a lot on Law and Gospel about the distinction uh, just between interpretation and application. So the interpretation would be that Jesus definitely says this is his body, this is his blood. But what is the application for the person in the pew,
1: well, he, he's receiving the forgiveness of sins when, when he yes. partakes of the of the supper, and I think that's a really the important point. It's always the thing that I've noticed about people taking communion in our churches is the receiving of the forgiveness of sins.
0: Yes, you see, when Jesus died on the cross. He provided the gift of the forgiveness of sins. Father, forgive them for they know not what they're doing. But somehow that has to be transferred to sinful human beings. And that is done, first of all, when they come to faith, when they believe in Jesus Christ, namely his promises, not that he died or he rose from the dead, although that's part of belief, but that's what we call historical faith when they have saving faith, believing the promises of the gospel, then God transfers that gift of the forgiveness of sins through faith and specifically through the promises of the Lord's Supper.
1: Okay, I got a a statement for you to evaluate. Good. The Formula of Concord Thorough Declaration, Article 7, says, And what's the the formula of Concord? It's from the Confessions. uh, It's part of our confession, Lutheran Confessions. That's right.
0: Okay, and what does it say?
1: If the institution of Christ is not observed as he appointed it, there is no sacrament. Any question? Is the... is what's going on in these churches other than our Lutheran, that if they're instituting the Lord's Supper and they don't believe it's the body and blood or it's really the body and blood, there is no sacrament?
0: Right. The example I like to give, let's say some children from Sunday school see the Lord's Supper, and so they're out playing in the sand and they get some grape juice and a piece of bread and they give each other what they think is the Lord's Supper, saying the words, even of institution, that is an invalid supper. Because we need to make a distinction between the validity of the sacrament and the effectiveness of the sacrament. The validity you've already mentioned is to be doing it according to Christ's command. And therefore, if it's not done in that context, which would not be happening in a sandbox, then that's an invalid sacrament, and there is no effectiveness. But if it's done in a congregation that confesses this is the body and blood of Christ, then indeed one is receiving the true body and blood of Christ and is effective in strengthening one's faith.
1: So, hence, in the Augsburg Confession of uh, our Luther Confessions, we say that the church exists where the gospel is taught in its purity and the sacraments are administered rightly.
0: That's correct. In other words, when you call a pastor, you want to have a pastor who is preaching the message of the Bible correctly, as did the prophets and the apostles. But you also want a, a pastor who properly does the various sacraments. Look at how many churches, and we're talking Southern Baptists, et cetera, that do not baptize infants because mm-hmm. they don't believe that through baptism a child can come to faith, even though St. Peter says definitely at the Pentecost sermon is the promise is to you and to your little ones, namely baptism, where they receive the gift of the forgiveness of sins and the gift of the Holy Spirit. So you don't want a pastor like that uh, leading the church.
1: Sure. I mean, in baptism, we're looking at the power of the word versus how much water we apply. It isn't how much water we apply. It's the fact that we have word and water uh, applied properly.
0: And how does Luther explain that? That it's not water alone, but? But the word. Yes, connected to the water is what makes the difference. Yeah. Uh, That's true in Jesus' miracles. You know, he could hand out all the bread and fish he wanted, but it was multiplied because of his word. And that's a huge difference between the miracle. Other people could hand out maybe a few pieces of bread and and fish, but nothing would happen. Whereas when Jesus did that, he was able to feed 5,000 people, but it wasn't on the basis of the kind of bread or the kind of fish he was using. It was on the basis of the word connected to that bread and fish.
1: Kind of goes back to a couple of weeks ago when we looked at the the cross of the serpent in in the Old Testament, where Israel had to look upon these serpents that were biting them. If they looked at the bronze serpent, and uh, looking to the the promises that that uh, Moses gave through the Word of God, they were healed. And Jesus was saying the same thing that as the Son of Man must be lifted up. And it's the promise of the gospel that all who look upon Jesus are saved through his death and resurrection.
0: That John 3 chapter about Christ being lifted up, it refers specifically to the cross, that he was lifted up on the cross. And that's the similarity between the bronze serpent. And somebody asked me, well, why did God tell Moses to do a serpent? Uh, Was Jesus a serpent on the cross? (laughs) And to a degree, the answer is yes, because he was the greatest sinner of the world. He had had all the sins that people had done, thought, or spoken. Many of them do to the temptations of the serpent. And therefore, that was appropriate that God would put a bronze serpent on the cross or on the pole so that when people just saw it, they were saved.
1: And thus comes the reminder, Jesus who knew no sin became sin for us. So when does he become sin, on Good Friday or before?
0: And the answer is?
1: Before, at his baptism, is it not? Yes, at his baptism. John's baptism was a baptism of repentance. So you were asking for forgiveness as you repented of your sins. What sins did Jesus have to repent of?
0: None, except the sins of the whole world when He became sin for us. And that's right, why the that Father is... said, "This is My beloved Son in whom I am well pleased."
1: Please, yeah. And then the. The dove of the Holy the Holy Spirit was represented in a dove that came down from heaven and rested upon him.
0: So we believe, teach, and confess that one doesn't have to have the Lord's Supper in order to be saved. In fact, believe it or not, in my congregation, I had a quarter of the people that I would not commune.
1: A quarter? At least. What? Well, Why was that that you wouldn't commune them? They weren't in church regularly? Oh, no.
0: They were in church every Sunday.
1: Okay, why didn't you commune them?
0: They were children.
1: Oh. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, boy. Explain what I mean mean by that. (laughs) Well, they were not confirmed yet, or they were not instructed properly in the use of the Lord's Supper. And there's a question of at what point does does a child come into realizing what the body and blood of Christ is?
0: Yes, and in fact, uh, we usually did that when kids were in grades 7 and 8. Um, but there were occasions, not very many, I think only two in my 28 years of ministry, where I would not commune a young person after the confirmation because they still were not of the character and understanding of the Lord's Supper. So we would meet with them privately for a while until they got to that point. And then when they received the Lord's Supper properly, we we gave them that and we confirmed them.
1: Right. Yeah, the church's eyes are... it was always interesting, the elders were very concerned that in the catechization of the, of the children of the church is, did did they believe that Jesus died upon the cross for their sins, and did they understand the meaning of Lord's Supper and baptism?
0: Yes, because that's saving faith. Right. It's a faith that trust the promises of the gospel. And that's how a person becomes a Christian. There are many people, even outside of Christianity, that would agree that Jesus, yes, he lived, he died on the cross, he rose from the dead, but they are not saved because that is not saving faith. That is historic faith, to have saving faith one needs to believe the promises connected. And so what are the promises connected to the Lord's Supper because of Christ's crucifixion?
1: Well, the strengthening of faith the forgiveness of sins. Yes. Yeah, many a time
0: when we visit shut-ins, what was the one thing we would always do in visiting a shut-in?
1: Uh, We do communion. I I do a little order of service where we have confession, absolution, uh, the creed, and prayers, and Lord's prayers, readings, you know, and then we would celebrate the communion together.
0: Yeah, one of the gifts that we were given when we became pastors from Concordia Publishing House, and I still have it, is a container that held uh, the bread and the wine for shut-ins, and we would carry that around with us. Did you get one also?
1: Oh yeah, yeah. That was always a gift that uh, Concordia Publishing House gave, and far as I know, still does, to graduating seminarians.
0: Yeah, I haven't heard of that, you may be right, but that is very, very helpful. And so it's important that shut-ins who are people, who are unable to attend church, either because of illness or age, or they're in a home. Now, today's a real problem with the virus is that I'm not allowed to go and visit shut-ins in homes because mm-hmm. of the restrictions. So right. that that becomes a, a problem. Now, that's opening up more and more, but in a lot of places, it's it's still forbidden.
1: And I know that they miss it. I, I, you know, I would set it up in my parish parishes that I served. A week that that's all I did during the, the afternoons and and mornings, depending on how many I had. That I would go around, and nobody in the congregation would would bother me while I was out on those, because they knew I was out visiting the shut-ins.
0: Well. That was a practice that many pastors did, and we hope to get back to that. In, in fact, were you ever assigned, as I was, some nursing homes where you would go do a sermon, and then I would also offer the Lord's Supper to those who were practicing uh, proper Lutherans?
1: Oh, yes. Uh, we Yeah. In fact, uh, I, I would set it up uh, two times. One was a generic Christian message, you know, a Lutheran message of salvation and singing to a mixed group of Christians that were together together. Yes. And, and then I'd come back another time and we would set up a, a private room where we would go and, and celebrate with, uh, with uh, the members of the congregation and sometimes other members of the Lutheran Church, Missouri Senate from the area.
0: Exactly. Now, the fact that the Lord's Supper takes place on Monday, Thursday, that's important because the next day, of course, is Good Friday and then Easter Sunday. And on Easter Sunday, I don't know of any churches that don't celebrate the Lord's Supper, do you?
1: Right, yeah. As far as I know, every church I've ever been involved with, they've always had communion on Easter Sunday.
0: Yeah, that's a a huge thing. Now, we're having some changes. There was no Easter Sunday last year in a lot of churches.
1: Hmm. Well, they did it uh, over the Internet. I know that... uh,
0: Well, they can't do the Lord's Supper over the internet.
1: Yeah, that's the only problem. Yeah, You couldn't celebrate the Lord's Supper. Or
0: baptism or anything. So, uh, but, uh, yeah, that was very early in the virus, and a lot of churches hadn't set up services, so there were some blanks, uh, no services over the internet, etc. It took me two weeks to get them doing sermons and that was on their website, and they could hear me preaching those various Sundays when we weren't having services. But uh, right now, this is the first Easter service in two years for a lot of congregations, although we're still not having a a meal uh, between the services because of the restrictions uh, (laughs) due to the virus.
1: And don't you have something special coming up in one of the services?
0: No, we don't want to mention anything special because we want them to get there and get surprised. But the most special thing that we're going to have is, of course, the idea that Christ's resurrection has a great significance. In fact, properly understood, the season of Lent did not have Sundays of Lent, that they were all Easter Sundays. Every Sunday in the church year is to be considered a Easter Sunday, and that's why the 40 days of Lent do not include the names of the uh, uh, part of Lent.
1: Well, yeah, and that's why we call them the Sundays in Lent and not of something.
0: Yes, well said. So we're not going to be meeting tomorrow, Good Friday, uh, because I'll be preaching. But there is going to be a, another broadcast, and it's a broadcast from before where I went through Psalm 22, and that mm-hmm. has a lot to do with Good Friday. So uh, until next week, then, Pastor Reimnitz will be off the air until Monday when I do another lesson from a law gospel point of view. So a happy Easter to you and everyone else.